Town, <clears throat> we talked uh, two weeks ago about how running with the nine is easy, and we asked the question, will we be like the one? And the story that we looked at in Luke was the story of the ten lepers, nine of which ran towards the priest so they could be declared healed, they could reintegrate with their family and friends and celebrate all the things they miss celebrating, like tasty Thanksgiving. But the one... The one returned to Jesus, and the one gave thanks and praise to Jesus. So we uh, saw two results, and that number one result was thanks can lead to peace. Thanks can lead to peace. Whenever we're, we're not grateful, we don't say thanks, giver, we start to worry we might trust ourselves for our problems, and we might turn inward, looking at ourselves for our hope, not just our solutions. But Paul reminds us that we can have peace that passes understanding when we remember to say, thanks, giver. Paul, writing from prison to the Philippian church, writes Philippians 4, 6, and 7. I'd like you guys to stand. Stand with me, and we're going to read this together. I'll have it on the screens here for you. Together, let's read. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You can have a seat. When we say thanks, giver, it can lead to peace that passes understanding. Pieces, peace that we can't even explain. Peace that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. A peace that we can't generate on our own. No other human can offer or give to us. That kind of peace only comes partially from being a thanks giver. So that's result number one from two weeks ago. Thanks can lead to peace. The second result we saw is that Thanksgiver draws us nearer to Jesus, and we see that in the story of the ten lepers, where the one leper runs back saying thanks and praising God. We're reminded when we're saying thanks to the giver that he is the giver of all life. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. Colossians, Paul says that he sustains everything by his powerful word. He's our Redeemer. The New Testament is filled with the story of Christ's redemption in our lives and the establishment of a, a kingdom of God by His death, burial, and resurrection, conquering of sin, Satan, and death, and His ascension, the Holy Spirit sent to live in our hearts and through our lives, transform us to look just like Jesus, and thereby establish the kingdom of God here on earth. We're only reminded, though, when we gather here, when we take communion, we're reminded that his body was given for us. When we're reminded that we partake of his body because we are his body, we're reminded of those things when, like that one leper who didn't run, who came back, we're reminded when we say thanksgiver, and then we begin to praise him, we're reminded that it's in him that we live and move and have our being. So result number two, thanks giver draws us nearer to Jesus. 
I was traveling back home one uh, dark evening in January, um, probably 1999-ish, you know, just a day or two ago. I was traveling back home from Kentucky Christian University, my undergraduate college where Andrea wasn't. That's the only thing you need to know. And I was going to where Andrea was because we had a snow day, and that meant a long weekend. So I'm like, adios, I'm driving through the snow because I'm going to see Andrea. As I'm driving through the snow, I'm thinking, very important here. Let's make sure that the car stays nice and straight. Let's not do anything too quick because there's a lot of snow already on the ground and coming down and the lights, you know how they shine into it and it kind of like illuminates your whole life and you're thinking, I'm in outer space at Mach 3. It's kind of like that, only I'm going 20. So I come over a hill and there's a semi parked in the right lane as I come over this hill, just barely an hour away from school. And oh my gosh, I'm gonna have to like kind of move over a little bit to the left lane to avoid this and successfully move over, just praying, thank you God that I didn't hit that semi. And then my car continues to transition over a little bit more onto the shoulder and then more down into the median. And now my prayers are changing from thanks God to God help me, I don't wanna be stuck in the middle of this median. And my car comes up the other side, and now I'm praying, God, please don't let me crash into oncoming traffic. And there's not very much, because it's snowing and you shouldn't be driving, but, but I am. And uh, I don't hit a car, and my tires come up, and they land kind of on the edge of the road, even though it's snowy. And my front-wheel drive car, I'm able to drive out and turn around and come back and stay in the left lane and get past that semi that was sitting in the right lane and make it home. Isn't it funny when, when things go our way, how willing we are to say, thanks, giver, even to, to praise God, just like the leper that was healed. I, I popped the CD in and I think I sang praise and worship for like two hours solid. Like, thank you, Jesus. Not only did I not have a wreck, I still get to maybe go home and see Andrea. And of course, I did get to do that. But what about when things are not going our way? Robin spoke about that last week. We looked at the life of Jehoshaphat. And Robin asked the question, can we say thanksgiver even when it doesn't make sense? We looked at Jehoshaphat's decision to seek the Lord when Judah was under attack by three different armies already in their land coming to attack. And Jehoshaphat chooses to turn to the Lord and say in Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 20 verse 12, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Is that the kind of commander you're hoping for? Well, this is the commander that Israel has. And Robin asked, do you ever sometimes thank God, even when it doesn't make sense? When battle was clearly imminent, Jehoshaphat did what didn't seem to make sense. He organized one whole battalion of his army to go out in front and to say thanks be to God. Here's what the scripture says in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 21. Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, read this with me, Georgetown, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Can we say thanks, giver, even when it doesn't make sense. When we're walking through a diagnosis that was sudden, like comes up in a checkup and results in weeks of treatment that we never saw, changing the course of our life, can we say thanks, giver? 
when we're living through uh, maybe disappointments at work, where you have worked your heart out, blood and sweat and tears, and the project is either backburnered or is kind of a failure, and all of that work looks like it was for nothing. Or what about, many of you probably just had Thanksgiving. What about frustrations with family? What about friction that's there, maybe between friends where you just don't have the relationship that a year ago you had and now you don't and you're walking through this friction that just lasts all the time. Maybe it's like you're going down the highway and it's so easy to say, thank you, God, I didn't hit the semi. And then all of a sudden you're in the median and maybe you're headed towards oncoming traffic and it's a lot harder to say thanks, giver, and to praise God for the fact that he's your creator and sustainer. It's a lot harder when we're in the middle of the trial, the testing, the pain, or the persecution. Thanks, giver, differs entirely from naming what we're thankful for. So quick show of hands, um, who sat around the living room or the kitchen table or dining room table or the shed or the patio or the deck? Who sat around and said, Thanks. I'm thankful for. Anybody? Did anybody do that last? Okay, some of us did. All right, so hands down. So did anybody at that time, you don't have to raise your hand, but did anybody at that time know that you were thankful to God for what you were saying thanks for? And I'll just give you a quick illustration from my own life. It kind of started happening as much as I plan and try and want it to be the way that I just described it. It just started happening, and we were all very thankful and thankful for time with Grandma Pat last year and thankful for the relative health of the family enough to get together at least. But I wasn't specifically thankful to God, so I don't know if my family knew that. Why would they just assume that? Thanks differs, thanksgiver differs from naming what we're thankful for. Thanks is important, but Thanksgiver acknowledges what James writes in chapter 117. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. And thanks is not praise, but it often can lead to it. So let's describe thanks and praise quickly. Thanks is gratitude for something we've received. And, and praise, praise is acknowledging God for who he is. So thanks, acknowledging what we've received. Praise, acknowledging God for who he is. So many of you know, and this is just an example really quickly, many of you know Roman is retiring next year. He'll be happy to hear there was no cheering. That's great. Uh, (laughs) There'll be a mixture of thanks and praise. Uh, I'll be thankful. Uh, Robin, I'm so thankful that you, uh, you were flexible in my schedule when we had really young kids because they're sick on like an every other day kind of a rotation. And it's mind numbing and it's almost impossible to get work done. But that's just how it is when you're in school and you're little and you put everything in your mouth. You get sick a lot. So I'll be grateful. Robin, thank you so much for being flexible. I'll be thankful, right? Grateful. I'll be so glad that he was willing to show me the ropes in ministry. And, and uh, whenever I did something 
just horrifically wrong and terrible, he would come into my office the next day and with a smile about this big, he would often say, uh, how did that work for you? <laughs> but there'll be some praise too. One thing I know I'll praise him for, I think that some of you will agree, and Robin will give all the glory to God for this, obviously, but we will collectively praise him for the integrity with which he has led this church. That's different than thanks. We're praising his very character. And of course, that character has been developed by God over time, so he'll give the glory to God, I can assure you. Another thing we might be grateful for, um, you should nod your heads, you'll be thankful for his humor. Right? <laughs> uh, I got this joke. Uh, well, hang on, let me see if you like it first. What do you call a turkey after Thanksgiving? I said, I said leftovers. Um, lucky. Okay, it's good. All right, so that, actually, that's from Roger. Roger, that's from Roger. Thank you, Roger. But, you know, Robin had great humor like that, and we'll say, Robin, you are a funny guy, even though sometimes it was funny that you were laughing about the joke before you were telling it, and that's why it was funny. <laughs> but that's giving praise, and thanks is different than praise, although thanks often leads to praise. Uh, next year, we'll do a, at least a couple of celebrations of Robin's time here at Georgetown Christian. I know it only seems like a year, but it's been almost 40. If you will have any interest in that, you can write down this number or you can text it right now and just say your name and I'd like to help. But this is the GCC After Hours prayer line. It's okay for you to text it. If you don't write it down right now, it's on our website, georgetownchristian.org, about us, and then contact us. You can just text your name there real quick and say, I want to make sure Robin feels embarrassed. I mean, appreciated uh, next year, and uh, we'll get you on a list and in touch with people that are doing that. So while thanks is not praise, it often leads to praise. We saw that with Jehoshaphat and Israel, and we saw that with the leper who came back after being healed. When we can say thanksgiver, when we can praise the Lord amidst our pain or persecution, even in the darkness, we are witnesses to the world of the Gospels transforming us into the likeness of Jesus. We all agree that's true. We would all agree. We would say, yes, we are witnesses to the world of the gospel's transforming power when we can say thanks, when we can praise God amidst even the darkness. But sometimes the pain of life, a diagnosis out of nowhere, a car wreck, a house fire, issues with your kids, your parents, your siblings, your friends, Work is not going like it was supposed to. Maybe there isn't work anymore. Amidst that pressure, that pain of life, that trial or that test, or that where is your faith really, time of questioning, the pressure to conform to the culture is real. And sometimes we just want to say, maybe even on social media, man, my life's terrible. Oh my gosh, my life is so horrible. You'll never believe what happened. 
And while we might want to share that with some of our close friends, it is true that when we can be a thanksgiver, when we can even praise God amidst our trials, amidst the darkness even, we're witnesses to the world of the gospel transforming us into the likeness of Jesus. John wrote it this way, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. He's writing about Jesus, but as we're transformed into his likeness, we then reflect that light. Jesus calls us a city on a hill, a light to the world. But when we let our feelings determine our faithfulness, we can't be witnesses. Today, we're going to see a pair, two believers, who in the midst of darkness, in the midst of circumstances that really stink, are able to pray and sing. And the result is that the world sees the hope they have in Christ. Turn with me to Acts chapter 15. We're going to talk about the plan and then the problems and then God's purpose in those. I'm going to start in Acts chapter 15, just one verse. Paul and Barnabas are agreeing, Let's return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Kind of the plan initially. <clears throat> it's just getting a little dry. And I think I've already told you all I'm going to die of choking on my own saliva. Or lack thereof. Anyway. <clears throat> <clears throat> then we see uh, after Paul and Barnabas have decided that's a great idea, we've got our first problem. That's that they don't agree on John Mark. They don't agree that, that he should go with them. So he goes with Barnabas. And Paul chooses Silas. You could call it the first problem. You could call it the first road bump. I don't know what you call it. But then after that problem, Paul experiences a call. That's in Acts chapter 16, which is where I hope you'll follow along with me. I'm going to do some summarizing and some reading for the purpose of this point today. In verse 9, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So let's go through some of the problems now. They've got the call from God to go preach the gospel. Some of the problems are um, chapter 16, verse 13. And I may be reading something in the text. You get to decide whether I'm doing that or not. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside to the gate of the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the woman who had the women who had come together. Now, Luke doesn't write it this way, but because I believe Luke didn't allow his feelings to determine his faithfulness. He was with Paul and Silas, and at this time, I believe Timothy. They didn't allow that. We don't read that in the text, but they could have had the pressures of the world torn down the character of Christ built up in their hearts, they could have said, oh man, God called us here and now there's not even a synagogue because everywhere we've gone so far, uh, not true. 
Most of the places we've gone so far have had a synagogue, but this is the first time we've been called in a vision by God to go preach the gospel to the people in Macedonia. So we're called by God, and then we get here, and there's really not the way that predominantly we've been sharing the gospel. That could have been a big problem for them, but their feelings didn't determine their faithfulness. Now, what about when a plan takes more patience, a call takes a little more effort and a little more grit than we're really up for? This is a test for Paul, and I'm um, I don't know. I'm kind of curious whether he passed this or not. All we have is facts. It doesn't really give us a judgment, so we're not totally sure where Luke stands on this. In verse 16, we pick up some more problems that they dealt with. As we were going to the place of prayer, this is after Lydia's been saved. Her household has been saved. They've given their life to Christ. They're Christians. They're going back to that same place to continue meeting with those people that meet for prayer, and we're going back to that place of prayer. We're met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. So she's like a little prophet sinner. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very hour. I don't know because the text doesn't say Paul was right or wrong he was good or bad. It just says that's what happened. And then subsequently, lots more problems because Paul has now disturbed the Pax Romana. Now, let's all just courtesy laugh. Pax Romana, <laughs> because uh, Pax Romana was like Roman peace, which uh, I'm only beginning to get the, the humor of the phrase as we just read and read and read the New Testament Paul was drug into the marketplace because he disturbed the peace. And that's a super high crime. Because in Rome, if there was anyone disturbing the peace, then Rome would come in and make sure there was peace by killing them. They would just crush them. They would be dead and totally decimated. And now there's peace again. So it's Roman peace. But Paul's disturbed it because he's, he's disrupted their economy. He's cast this spirit out of this poor girl and so he's brought before the magistrates in the marketplace, which was typical of where you would gather to produce at least an initial, um, you might call it an arraignment, to where charges would be filed, and then we would confirm that, yes, you're going to be held for these charges. So the magistrates meet, and they say, yes, indeed, you have disturbed the peace, you've caused damage to their business, even though you've freed this girl. And then they throw them into prison. After they strip them of their clothes and they beat them with rods, they throw them into prison. When the plan takes more patience than we anticipated, do we let our feelings determine our faithfulness? When the testing continues, do we forget who's in control? Do we forget who said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and I will be with you always. I will not leave you. Do we forget that when we're in the middle of a trial? When the trials go from bad to worse, from beatings and nakedness now to prison, can we say thanks, giver? I'm crashing through the median in the dark and the snow, and I'm not saying thanks, giver. I don't know how your life goes, but it is not my first response to think in the middle of a trial or a test or suffering, thanks, God. 
That is not my first response. But Paul and Silas, they're different. Beaten, stripped, imprisoned. I wonder, I wonder if Paul can write this in Thessalonians because he has practice at it. I wonder if it's something that he just became accustomed to doing through all of his beatings and persecution and suffering as he tried to train his heart and mind to be like Christ. I wonder if this was just a, a habit that came out in a letter that we get a glimpse of in Thessalonians where he writes to them, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do we fall back on scriptures like this? When we're suffering, when we're in pain and persecution and trial and the crush of life and our culture just says, forget Jesus, it's all in you. You got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You've got it. Do we forget? Have we hidden any of this word in our hearts? I wonder if Paul remembered, and I think Paul did remember, at least a, a psalm similar to this, but uh, it is true that Paul quotes from Psalms more than any other scripture as he's writing letters in the New Testament. Psalm 40 verse 3 says, He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Now I wonder if as Paul and Silas are sitting in prison, if this is coming to Paul's mind, because the Holy Spirit guides us into truth, he recalls scriptures that we have tried to memorize. He ministers to us. He gives us comfort as believers. Jesus says he'll provide the words that we need at the time that we need them. I wonder if when they're sitting there, he's thinking, you know, this looks like it's a big, dark prison, and I'm stuck. And the gospel can't go. But he remembers that many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And I have a new song in my heart. Hey, Silas, let's rejoice. Let's sing and pray. Because our, like our situation isn't this cell. Our, our problems really aren't this prison. He writes later to the Ephesians, our battle's not against what? It's not against flesh and blood, right? So Paul and Silas are praying and singing in the middle of the darkness. It's not easy to be thankful or to praise God or to, to pray when we're in a difficult place. Maybe not, maybe not actually a prison, but painful times is difficult, but we have hope, even when the plan doesn't go right. Even when we're beaten, maybe it's emotionally, maybe it's physically, maybe it's spiritually, we're just beaten down, maybe it's financially, but we still have hope. We have hope even when we're wrongfully accused, and it looks like, boy, life has taken a turn that we have no answer for. It's tough to pursue God's plan and follow his lead when we face so many trials and obstacles and problems and suffering and pain, but we have hope. Look, look where Paul places that hope when he writes to the Romans. Not only that, but rejoice in our sufferings. 
He says to rejoice in them because, here's the reasoning, knowing that suffering produces something. It's not for nothing that is unless we just throw it away. If we get on social media and cry about it, if we go to our friends and say, my life's so terrible and sad, oh my goodness, woe is me, I'm a pitiful, poor victim. But if our suffering is for Christ, it produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. We're not without hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So by the power of that Holy Spirit, when we find ourselves in that pit of despair, and maybe it's not a prison for you, but maybe it's some kind of pain, it may not be an actual cell, but it could be the crush of culture, the pressure of friends to conform to a culture that has nothing to do with Christ. When we're stuck between whatever kind of Red Sea and Egyptian army is kind of crashing in on our hearts and lives, it is imperative that we don't see it all as like some kind of giant Goliath issue that's going to slay us all, but that if we're reminded to turn our hearts towards the Lord, and that can happen by thanks and praise, even in the midst of prison, can we find the strength in the middle of our trials, to sing in the darkness? Do we claim, believe in, operate in, live and act as though our hope is firmly secured in Christ? We've been given a deposit, even the Holy Spirit God, alive within us. Do we forget this victory, though? Do we just forget it sometimes? And we let our feelings kind of determine our faithfulness. I believe our thanks can lead to praise. And our praise can be a light, can be a witness to the world. Uh, Before I wrap up, I just want to say that we were going to talk about problem. We're going to talk about, first, a plan. We talked about the plan. We're going to share the gospel. We're going to talk about some problems they encountered. A little argument here little beating over there, a little prison time here. But amidst all of that, God is working, and God is not only bringing eternal life and hope to the, the household of Lydia and the household of the Philippian jailer, which is amazing. For eternity, they have Christ as their hope. They are members of the same body. You and I are members of the body of Christ. But also... Because Silas and Paul were willing to, in the midst of their pain and their suffering in literal prison, they were willing to proclaim the name of Jesus and to pray and sing in the midst of darkness. A church was born in the city of Philippi, a church that continued to support Paul, not only with money, not only with prayers, but when Paul is in Rome where he's writing, he's writing from prison so many letters in the New Testament this church sends Epaphroditus to minister to him, to bring even more money to him. This is the church that's planted where Paul and Silas are beaten and where they're stripped naked and thrown into prison. This is the city where the church of Philippi is born. And it's because Paul and Silas are willing to, in the midst of the darkness, sing. Praise God and pray. When we can say thanks giver. 
when we can praise the Lord amidst our pain or persecution, even in the darkest darkness, we are witnesses to the world of the power of the gospel transforming us into the likeness of Jesus. And when we can praise God in the midst of the darkness, they can see the light of Christ. Would you bow your heads? I have two questions for you to consider. Will you look at your pain, trial, suffering, persecution, and say, why God? Or will you look at your pain, your trial, your suffering, and choose to sing in the darkness and declare that your hope does not rest in yourself, but your hope is secure in the one who conquered sin, Satan, and death, who is establishing the kingdom of God by power. Father God, would you give each of us the courage to sing in the darkness, to say thanks when it doesn't make sense. And by our acknowledging you for what you've given to draw nearer to Jesus and to have peace that passes understanding. And that by all these things, we may be led to praising you, be it in the darkness be it as life is crashing off the road and through the median, be it as we're marching into an army that we're, uh, we're actually noticing now is three armies and our defeat is certain, but we choose to march into those armies with praise and with thanks to a living God in whom we place our hope. Would you, Father God, please make true in our lives that in this church as we pursue a life that looks like a fully devoted follower of Christ. Would you help each one of us to in whatever pain or darkness or sickness or distress to sing in the darkness, proclaiming your goodness. We pray all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said,